Today I'd like you to turn in your New Testaments, if you would, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Keep your Bibles open. And uh, if you have those outlines, you can take one of those out and follow along. Fill in the blanks if you desire. But shortly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he gave his disciples kind of a a mind-blowing challenge. He told this group to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Now, he said this, think about this, to 11 guys who up to that point hadn't demonstrated in any measurable way a capacity for conquering anything, let alone the entire world. In fact, when they realized that Jesus was facing certain death, all of his disciples bailed except one by the name of John, who stayed there until the end. And now Jesus is telling this band of underachievers to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew's version emphasizes telling them to make disciples of all nations. Now, how in the world was this supposed to happen? How could 11, mostly uneducated, by this time presumably broke men, overcome the distance barriers, the language barriers, the financial barriers, the cultural barriers? It sounds like Jesus was sending them out on mission impossible, not mission possible. How could this group honestly be expected to turn their world upside down? Well, three things happened that turned the tide for the disciples. One was the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, just think about that. When someone you know dies and then rises from the grave, how many of you know it would be pretty easy to believe that that person has the power over death? It's easy to believe that he is who he claims to be, that he can do what he says he can do, You know, when someone you know dies and rises again, it's easy to find the courage to do what they've asked you to do. And the resurrection of Jesus gave the power to these disciples, the boldness that they lacked before. Another tide turner for the disciples was the power of the Holy Spirit. The last thing that Jesus said to his followers before he ascended back into heaven was, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, this statement makes a very important distinction that we need to be aware of. The Christian life is not merely following the tenets of a creed. That we believe that God is in heaven, that Jesus is his son, and that we're supposed to do good. It's much more than that. The Christian life is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ in which his spirit comes to live in you and dwell in you, giving you the power to live the kind of life that he asked you to live. You don't live in your power anymore. You now live by the power of the Holy Spirit. One more thing that made a big difference for those disciples was God's strategic timing. God's strategic timing. In Acts 2, we see how the disciples were praying together in an upper room in Jerusalem during the Feast of Pentecost. Last Sunday, we talked about Pentecost. It was one of the most important days on the Jewish calendar. Literally, Hundreds of thousands of people came from all around the, the world to celebrate in Jerusalem the Passover. Suddenly, that upper room was filled with the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and all of the people in that upper room began to speak in other languages. 
As people came to see what this commotion was, people from many different nations, they understood these men praising God in their own native language. And that certainly got everyone's attention. Well, Peter seized the moment, stood up, and had a crowd sit down and quiet for a moment. And he began to preach a sermon. He invited all of those people there that day to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that day, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus Christ. Now, just a few days later, 3,000 of those people returned to their homes in various nations around the world, taking their newfound faith in Jesus Christ with them. Think of the implications of that. This caused the message of the gospel to go viral. Suddenly, Jesus' command to go into all the world and preach the gospel didn't seem all that impossible. Thanks to Pentecost, there would now be a core group of believers ready to receive the apostles wherever they went in the civilized world. In the days and weeks following Pentecost, the Jesus movement literally exploded with power, and people began to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But not only were there conversions, there were miracles. The people cared so much for one another. They even sold some of their possessions and shared with those who were in need. And the Bible says that the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. And then trouble broke out in paradise. Peter and John were brought before the religious leaders. They were told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they responded by saying, in effect, that's not going to happen. We won't stop talking about Jesus because we can't stop talking about Jesus. And this eventually led the high priest to go after those apostles, having them arrested, put in jail. The Bible then says that an angel of the Lord came and released them. Well, what happened? The next day, there they were, out in the temple court again with the people, teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. So once again, they were rounded up, and they were taken. It was time for a confrontation, and that's where we jump in right now. Look at verse 27 of Acts chapter 5. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, Well, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. We're in a series that uh, I've entitled Mission Possible. It's about how the early church changed their world, but also how you and I, this church, can change the world around us. These few verses in today's text give us insight on how the early church leaders thought and what they did, and how we in turn need to think and what we can do. Let me ask you a personal question about this church. What kind of a church can make a difference in its community? And even more personal, what kind of a person makes a difference in his or her workplace or in your home or out on the golf course or with people, whatever you're doing? This text shows us that there's a number of things that we can do as a church and as individuals to make a difference in our world. 
So today, I want us to look at how to be a difference maker in your world. How can we be difference makers in our world? Well, first of all, we need to talk about Jesus more than anything. We need to talk about Jesus more than anything else. The members of the Sanhedrin said to those apostles in verse 28, You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching about him. You have literally just blown us away with the teaching of Jesus right here in the city. As we saw just a couple of weeks ago, the early church, their message more than anything else was simply about Jesus Christ. Their message basically was, Jesus is the answer. Do you have a problem? Jesus is the answer. Do you have a problem? What are you dealing with? Jesus is the answer. And you know, friends, our purpose today in the 21st century is the same. We were called to preach salvation, teach salvation, share salvation through Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Encourage people to receive Jesus as their Savior. But it doesn't end there. We're then to teach them how to follow Jesus as their Lord. We're to disciple them. When John Bassanio was pastor of First Southern Baptist Church back in Dell City, Oklahoma, he invited a well-known evangelist to come hold a revival service. This was back in the 60s, not long after McCarthyism. And many people in our country were still in a panic over communism. This evangelist capitalized on that fear as he preached, and he preached every night on the danger of communism and how it was a threat to the American way of life and what it could do to the church. But amazingly, when it came time to the, for the altar call, no one came to the altar. After several nights of this, the evangelist went to Bassanio and said, I don't understand why no one is responding to the message. Bassanio said, well, you haven't talked about Jesus. You've only talked about communism. What do you expect people to do? Walk down the aisle and surrender to the FBI? <laughs> Tell them about Jesus. And you know, we make similar mistakes today in the church. Sometimes we preach as if we just want people to accept family values into their life. Some churches preach as if their goal is to get people to join a certain political party or vote toward a specific agenda. Now, here's the deal, friends. Political convictions are good. No doubt about that. Family values certainly are important. But our message goes way beyond that. Our message more than anything else is Jesus is the answer. In fact, think about this. When a person has Jesus in his or her heart and life, and Jesus is controlling what he does or what he says, then there's a lot more chance that that person is going to have better family values than they had without him. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. And I think, I really think that if Jesus is controlling us and giving his direction, we'll probably vote better than we would without him. But let's not get the cart before the horse. How many of you saw the Bible miniseries on television just a couple of years ago? Any of you see that? It was done well. But there's an interesting backstory to that. It was developed by a married couple whose names are Mark Burnett and Roma Downey. Now, Mark was a producer of some TV reality shows. You may recognize them. Survivor, The Apprentice, The Voice, among others. And his wife, Roma, had been in a number of TV shows, and if you ever saw Touched by an Angel, well, she was one of the angels on that show. 
They're both Catholic Christians, solid believers. When they first developed the idea of this series, they contacted various studios and production companies, and the response that they got, more than not, was, you might have something there, but is it possible to tell the story of the Bible without mentioning Jesus? Duh! Come on now. (laughs) Can you imagine that? I'm going to tell the story of the Bible without mentioning Jesus. Well, you know, we need to be careful before we point fingers. I've sat through entire worship services at times where Jesus' name was hardly even mentioned. And I don't want to make that mistake here, and I won't as long as I'm preaching here. When people come to this church, I want them to know that we're about Jesus Christ. I want them to hear his name in the music, hear his name in our prayers, hear his name in the preaching, hear his name in the conversations that we have with one another. You see, through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sin, we have purpose, and we have peace. His teachings are the greatest lessons that have ever been taught. His life is the greatest story ever told. How can we not talk about Jesus Christ? You know, if we want to make a difference in our community, then first of all, we've got to start talking about Jesus. Secondly, we need to honor God above anyone else. We need to honor God above anyone else. The Sanhedrin said to the apostles, We gave you strict orders not to preach in this man's name. Peter and the other apostles replied in verse 29, We must obey God rather than men. Now, you may not like everything about the government here in America, but the bottom line is we can stand up on a Sunday morning like this and preach Jesus Christ in his name and not have any interference from our government. Now, we don't have to defy the government in order to be faithful to our message, and we really should be thankful for that, but it's not that way everywhere. We have brothers and sisters in the Lord around the world in places where they do have to choose between obeying God and obeying government. And we should never diminish the sacrifices they make, and we need to remember them daily in our prayers. No, We don't have to choose between obeying God and obeying the government, but sometimes at work you have to choose between obeying God and maybe obeying your boss. Some of you may work for an employer who who expects you to cut corners in uh, in order for the business to thrive and move forward. And sometimes it's hard not to go along with what you're asked to do because you want to keep your job. You want to move up the chain there. But as believers in the workplace, we need to commit to doing what is right. I believe God is calling us to be men and women, young people of integrity. But we need to do it with an attitude that that lets everyone know very gently and respectfully that I am going to honor God above everyone and anything else. But there's a third thing that makes a difference. We need to love people more than anything else. The church needs to be a place that loves people more than any place else. When Peter talked to the Sanhedrin, he emphasized that Jesus came offering forgiveness. Look at verse 31. 
God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior. Why? That he might give repentance and forgiveness for the sins of Israel. The driving motivation for Peter, John, and all of the rest of the apostles was to see people saved. To see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what they wanted. You know, when they encountered the risen Christ, they realized this thing is real. I mean, his teaching, his promises, his way of life, this is the real deal. And all of those things that he said that were kind of out there, I mean, like when he said he was alive even before the days of Abraham, and when he said he was a equal with God the Father, and when he said the only way to God is through him, His resurrection proved it. This is the real deal. And people need to hear it. They need to know it. They need to have the opportunity to know Jesus just like we do. There's a phrase that we used to hear in the church a number of years ago. I haven't heard it for a long time. Maybe we should. And the phrase is simply, God loves you and so do I. God loves you and so do I. Let me ask you a question. Does this church want a philosophy from which you operate? Well, there it is. It's that basic. God loves you, and so do I. Do you want to develop a a personal philosophy that drives you and your relationships with one another? There it is. God loves you, and so do I. So I'm going to help you develop that. I want you to turn to someone right now, look them in the face, and say, God loves you, and so do I. Just do that right now. I I looked out there and I I heard one woman respond, that's the first time you've told me you love me in a year. (laughs) No, no, I'm just kidding. But you know, there's there's a reason that the early church changed the world around them. Not only did they proclaim the name of Jesus, not only did they stand for what they believed and were men and women of integrity, but they also loved people. You see it in Acts 2. When the believers began to sell their own possessions and share them with anyone who was in need. You go to Acts 6 and you see the way they organized food and distributed it so that all the needs of all the people were being met. You see it years later when the leaders of the church came together with Paul before he went out on one of his missionary journeys. And they wanted to bless him, but they said, there's one thing we want you to do. We want you to remember the poor. The church from the very beginning, has been about helping people. The church demonstrates God's love as we reach out and minister to people. All people. How many people? All people. In fact, I just came across this this week. And uh, it may push some of you in your comfort zone, but listen to this carefully. Are you confused about the Christian's response to social issues? Here's a handy reference list. Male, love them. Female, love them. Unsure, love them. Gay, love them. Straight, love them. Unsure, love them. Addict, love them. Sober, love them. Believer, love them. Unbeliever, love them. Unsure, love them. Love them. 
Get it? Someone knows. When I say get it, you say got it. Get it? Good. Let's try that again. Get it? Good. Okay. We're, we're, I want you to remember that. And, and, you know, that's what it's all about. Hey, we have a right as believers in God's Word to stand up very strongly for what we believe. But we're also to love everyone no matter who they are, no matter what they believe. How many of you know that God died for sinners? Did you catch that? He died for the bad guys. Oh, that's you and me. He died for all of us. So we need to be careful at pointing our... Have you ever noticed when you point your finger at someone else, three are pointing back at you? That's just the way it works. Jesus said, the greatest among you must be a servant. The greatest among you must be a servant. That is our calling, both as a church and as individuals. That's why each of us would do well to ask ourselves, how am I showing God's love to the world around me? Who am I serving? If you want to make a difference in this world, if you want to be a part of a church that makes a difference in our community, then friends, you need to love people more than anyone else and anything else. The early church made a difference because they talked about Jesus more than anything else. And we, you and I, need to be a people who talk about Jesus day in and day out. The early church made a difference because they were willing to take a stand. They were even willing to suffer for their faith in Jesus Christ in order to do what's right. And we need to be men and women, young people of integrity. And the early church made a difference because they cared. Because they loved. They wanted to see people saved. They wanted to see people fed. They wanted to be, see people around them taken care of. They loved people more than anything else. Let's be a church that serves the community in which we live. In the spirit of, of the love of Jesus Christ. Together, you and I really can change our world.